This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're gonna get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Hey, Empresses. If you have ever let somebody or something just get inside your head and it's been really hard to let it go. I know I've had those moments in the course of my life more than once. You are gonna love my conversation with Jocelyn Saccio. Jocelyn has had an incredible career that started as a pop singer at the age of 19. She has had a media business, has a nonprofit organization, and she is the founder of being, she is the founder of the art of being unmessable with. Today, Jocelyn talks about not only her career, what's changed for her, but how you can take control of your life and live it on your terms. Hey, Jocelyn, welcome to Women Who Build Empires. I'm super excited to talk to you because I am in love with what you do as being somebody who helps other people become unmessable with. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's I know I've been waiting for this for a while. We scheduled this a while ago. I'm so happy to finally be with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to just coordinating schedules these days and being in the same place or the same time zone um, or not. And yes, calendar and everybody's schedule seems to take a bit of coordinating these days, but we're here. Uh, so let's share with everybody a little bit about your journey. And I, we were talking about you being a pop star and that being a goal of yours that you achieved and then transitioned into a production company. Let's start with that. And Sure. Yeah. I mean, I dreamed of being a pop singer since I was four. I mean, I'm sure, you know, lots of people dream of things like that when they're little. And I would sing to anyone or anything that wouldn't leave the room, including my dog or stuffed animals. But then when I was about five years old, I was sitting in the car with my dad. We were in our Chevy Impala convertible and he had painted. I I saw him painting all the time, but then he stopped. And I said to him, how come you stop painting? And he said, well, you can't do your art as your career. And that was the moment where I said to myself, you can't do your art as your career. It wasn't so much that he said it because, you know, he said lots of things that I didn't listen to in my life, but I said it right in that moment. And that became the truth for me. And I gave up on that dream. I was like, all right, I'm not going to do that as a career because I certainly didn't want to be a starving artist. You know, I didn't even know what that was at five. But as I got older, I, I could see the starving artists around me and gather evidence for that you don't do your art as your career. And then I was in a transformative w- workshop when I was in my very early 20s. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me that maybe that wasn't the truth. Like maybe that was a decision I made in the infinite wisdom of five, Mm -hmm. that became a lid 
on what was possible for me. Because if I looked from another perspective, there's plenty of people who make a living at their art. So it's not like you can't, it's not like nobody does. I mean, there are people that do it, but I was living like you can't do your, your art as your career. So that loosened the, the reality of it for me. Mm-hmm. And within three weeks, I got a record deal. Literally just wow. from disappearing that limiting belief and taking the actions consistent with being a singer. And that's how that happened. So that was magic, right? And that's when I got on a mission to empower other people to fulfill their dreams and to develop themselves to be unmessable with. And and when I say unmessable with, I don't mean like tough or not feeling your feelings or anything like that. It's just about being able to stay focused on what you really want. What is your vision and not get hooked by those limiting beliefs, by what people say to you, by circumstances that might come up that might not be desirable, by really anything that life is throwing at you, being able to stay centered in your dream and your vision and take action from that space of creation versus the space of reacting. Right. And just, I have so many questions. Okay. <laughs> well, that's There's why so we're much- here. We go. Yeah, here we go. So, things. so when you had this breakthrough with the limiting belief that you, know, you couldn't make a career out of really your passion. Yeah. And in that, that three weeks, did you already have some connections I mean, I, I am three people, you, everybody is three people away from anybody. Right. Right. But it's interesting. It's not like I called the head of Sony records and was like, Hey, now I want to be, no, not at all. But I just started taking actions consistent with if I were a singer, which I declared I'm a singer. So now I said, okay, what do I need? If I'm a singer, I need to have a demo. Okay. So I knew somebody who was a recording you know, singer and had a little home studio. And I was like, will you record a demo with me? And it was all old standard songs. I didn't even like, you know, write a song for the demo. I just wanted to get something on tape, right? Back then we had tapes. So I did that very quickly because I made a phone call. They said, yes, we scheduled it. We went in. Then I started, this is actually what happened. I started introducing myself to people as a singer, which to me felt like a lie, first of all, because I had no evidence, you know, it wasn't like I, I, you know, I was, and plus, I still had remnants of that reality of that you can't do your art as your career. So to me, when I said I'm a singer, it was really like I was saying I'm a loser, you know, like I could barely say it. And you're probably too young to remember the TV show Happy Days. I don't know if you I don't know you and I are similar ages. Okay, well, Fonzie was a character on this show and he couldn't say I'm wrong. Like it was he'd be like, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's what it was like for me to say I was a singer. It was like, I'm a singer. But then I'd have to like validate it by saying, but I'm also a producer and I produce commercials and did it. Like I have a real job, you know, but the more I would do it, the less I had to justify the other, you know, the producer thing. So I was just, I just started doing it like a muscle. So then three weeks goes by. And I get a phone call like out of the blue from this woman who said, you know, I'm a manager and I'm putting together a female new kids on the block. And we heard that you're a singer. I I kid you not. I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, how did you hear that? You know, she spoke to one of the people that I introduced myself to as a singer who had auditioned for the group who wasn't right for it. And she said, yeah, but my friend Jocelyn is is really right for this. So they called me and that's how the whole thing happened. Isn't that amazing? That is so cool. And I, but it's also not mysterious. No, no, it's not like you, you had this breakthrough, you took action, universe delivered period. 
And that's how anything ever happens is you take action. There's without action, there's no results ever. Right, right, right. You know, and, I, I mean, having worked with so many women over the years, that piece of like, I'm uh, anything, but in your case, the singer piece. Yes. <laughs> it reminds me of being in networking groups and women who are transitioning into their business newly and they have really hard time getting out what they're doing because it yep. feels so uncomfortable and it really is just the practice of saying it over and over again and every time you're a little more grounded in that and it's a muscle it is it's like if you you know do a sit up over and over and you you're doing it wrong but then you start doing it correctly and you keep exercising that now all of a sudden it'll be natural. And that's, you know, one of the things I work with in my private coaching clients, I, I deal with a lot of women entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and they do have that. It's almost like an imposter syndrome thing where they don't get who they are. So it, I have them write a formulation statement and say it to themselves in the mirror every day so that they can start to get who they are outside of their own conversation about themselves. I'm like, look at the reality. This, you accomplished this, this you did. You have worked with this many people you have. And I had to do that even just for myself, you know, when I was starting the art of being unmessable with, I had spent 30 years leading programs for Landmark and, you know, coaching people in the entertainment business and with my nonprofit, but I never really was like out doing podcasts and did it. I had to write a bio and I'm like, what am I going to say? Like, who's going to want to talk to me? And, you know, and then I started writing the things I was like, wow, like I actually have accomplished quite a bit. So that's how I, you know, developed this methodology with my clients because, People have no idea who they are. They think yeah. something and it's not real. Just like you can't do your art as your career wasn't real. Right. And it's interesting for me too, because I know in my experience and with, I'm going to say most people and especially women, that the conversation you have going on in your head is not how people perceive you. At all. Right. And and it's there's been moments in my past where there's I've had this like surprise like you think what and sometimes it was some some skill or talent or ability that I had not even like I just do it so I don't think about it exactly it's it's like water to a fish for you yeah but you know for someone else it's kind of like do you have children yeah. Oh, two boys. Yeah. Yeah. So when you have kids, you'll know as a mother, you know, and other parents will be like, oh, you know, your child was at my house and they're so polite and they're so, and you're like, what, whose children were you with? You know, <laughs> so it's kind of like that. Like you don't live in your own conversation about yourself. You live in the conversation that others have about you. And people are not great at managing that conversation. They just sort of you know, end up at the effect of it versus being somebody who can craft how people listen to you mm -hmm. through your actions, through your conversations. But you can't do that if you're all weird about your own conversation about yourself. Yeah. So how do you help people break down all of the things that are messing with them um, so that they can become unmessable? And I'm sure this is something that we could talk about for days and months. Yes, really. <laughs> but I mean, the simple answer, like the cliff note answer to that is, first of all, I get people clear about their vision, which you'd be shocked how many people are not clear about what they want, because they're so busy dealing with what life is throwing at them. They're looking down and in managing what's happening versus up and out at what they're really dreaming for or, or they envision in their business and their family and their community, whatever. So I work to craft that vision so that we're, we have a, a place we're looking to. 
then very naturally what gets driven up are all the things that mess with them, whether Mm -hmm. it's fear or, you know, worries or limiting beliefs or conversations, negative self-talk, or it could be a person, you know, like some reaction they have. Mostly it's all in the realm of reaction and survival. That's Mm -hmm. what messes with people. So we dissect and dismantle whatever shows itself because it does show itself. Like we'll have a, if I was coaching you and then we said, okay, so by the time we talk next, you'll do this, this, and this. Then we talk next and it's like, well, I didn't do that. Okay, well, what got in the way? And right there, it'll be what messes with you, not just there, but in every area of your life. So it's not difficult to unearth what messes with people. It shows up pretty quickly and then we'll work to dismantle it, get to the source of it shift from that mode of create of reaction to the mode of creation. Mm-hmm. So I work with people to come up with actual strategies and, you know, steps so that it's accessible and actionable and it's not conceptual. Cause the worst thing is like, okay, now I know what messes with me, but so what, right. You know, now what? So we go to the now what, so that they can exercise that muscle that's been atrophied and start building the muscle of staying in that mode of creation versus getting stuck in the world of reaction and survival and dealing with things. Mm-hmm. And it's really taking kind of abstract or intangible and, and then having tangible actions to help express the abstract pieces that are kind of forming newly. Yes. Not so much express the abstract pieces, but create them. Okay. So there's like a bridge from whatever you're creating, you know, you create a vision for peace. I mean, you know, whatever. Okay. But what's that going to look like in reality? So what's the bridge from vision to reality? And Mm -hmm. we work a lot on that so that they can produce actual results in reality that are an expression of that vision. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds super fun. It is so I love what I, I mean, I'm like, I love, I'm so lucky. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I've obviously my approach as a business coach is different, but it's the same Yay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. There's nothing better than yeah. when somebody breaks through some limiting belief and then accomplishes what they wanted to accomplish or exceeds what they wanted to accomplish. And that you were any part of that is the biggest joy. Yeah. Yeah. And I love just, I love seeing them unfold. So let's shift gears a little bit. Like, let's talk about your journey as an entrepreneur. Sure. Um, and, and what that's been like for you, um, what are some of the things you've learned? Where have you excelled? Well, I started um, my company, oh my God, it's so many years ago. It's like 35 years ago at this point. So I started my company a long time ago when I was in the pop group. You know, I said, okay, well, I'm going to have a company. I'm not going to do this as an individual, right? And as soon as I completed being a pop singer, I started an entertainment company through that entity, which was really designed to manage the careers of other artists so that they could have their art be their career. That was my intention. And, you know, we did production as well as management. And that, you know, I was I was so young at that point. I was in my early 20s you know, for me, it was a no brainer. It was like, I would do this for free for people. So I might as well start a company out of it. And that company is still in existence today. So in addition to coaching people, I also have this entertainment company that, you know, manages 120 actors in the entertainment business. So it's, it's very fulfilling, you know, especially like we talk about coaching people in business and their families or whatever it is you're coaching them in. When somebody is wanting, they have a dream to be an actor and they book their first TV show mm-hmm. or their first 
theater show or Broadway, you know, whatever it is, it's so satisfying to move with people to those milestones where they're in a state change of their career. So, you know, there's no reason for me to not keep that around, even though I'm not an active day to day, that's all I do. It's very much uh, harmonic to the work that I do with people in all their whole life, not just in the entertainment business. Was there a moment when you knew that the singing and pop star aspect of your life was time to transition out of and and then start this other business? Yeah, it was really, first of all, the the pop star thing was a dream come true. There's no question about it. I mean, from when I was four years old and we had a number one record. So that was like even more of a dream come true. So it was kind of like, okay, this is pretty much as good as it gets. I mean, not as good as it gets because I could be Celine Dion making millions of dollars from song. You know, that's a different state. But I had sort of completed the dream of it. You know, it's like I I wanted to and I traveled the world and I, you know, it was amazing. But I really wanted to have a family and I wanted to get married and have, you know, have kids. And I wasn't going to be doing that traveling around the way I was. So I was ready to complete that dream. And that's not unlike anything, you know, like when you create a business at some point, it may not be your expression anymore. You may have reached the limit of what that company or that structure is fulfilling on in terms of your vision. So for me, my vision was complete. I had that dream come true and I was ready to create a new chapter. So I met my husband when I was still in Boy Crazy and, and that was what it was called, Boy Crazy. It's kind of sad now that I say that. It's like, it's like three children ago. And when I met him, I was clear, okay, well, he's going to be the one that I want to build a life with. And I think it's time for a channel change, you know, so it was easy to retire it, so to speak. And the youngest girl in the group, because they were also, I was the oldest person in in my early twenties, wanted a manager. She wanted to go out on a solo career. So she asked me if I would manage her. So I was like, there you go. The universe delivers, right? Yeah, that's really cool and fun. Yeah, and she's still my good friend. She's got three kids of her own now. She was at my daughter's wedding last year, so we're still very, very close. She was my very first client. Cool. And at what point did you add in the coaching aspect and really start the Unmessable With brand? Well, two answers. So back in when I was 19, I was already coaching people. I was being trained in transformative leading. So I was leading workshops. I was leading seminars. So that was happening all along. And when I got the record deal, I got deeper into leading transformative work. So I did that for more than 30 years. So the coaching was always there. And being a manager is literally being a coach for actors. So it was always sort of there. And then my nonprofit that I started was coaching nonprofits and leaders from around. So coaching has been a part of my life, you know, since I was a teenager and really even before that, because I was 11 when I participated in my first transformative workshop, when my parents both participated in a transformative workshop and they were separated. And I got my first glimpse of what it looks like to be unmessable with when my mother did her workshop, she came out like a force of nature. She went in like a victim. She came out like anything. She could accomplish anything. And I was like, whatever that is. And I didn't have the word unmessable with, but that's what that was. And then my dad did the workshop and they got back together and they just celebrated 65 years together. They're 90 and 92. It's insane. So transformation has been 
my water that I swim in since I was 11, which is 45 years. So um, when I was in my early 20s leading a transformative workshop, one of my mentors on the phone threw that word out, like just in passing, you know, well, you're just messable with. He actually said messable with. And that was, I was like, that's my word. That's it. So I grabbed onto that and I started building this whole world around being unmessable with. I got it in the Urban Dictionary. I started making mugs and T-shirts and pens and wristbands, you know, and I just loved that word. So I created a world around that word. When I left Landmark about a year ago, um, I took three months off and I was like, I'm going to write the book, The Art of Being Unmasked. That's what I'm going to do. But instead I said, no, I'm going to write some courses. And then I started, you know, building the coaching practice and doing offerings. And I was like, this is what I was born to do. You know, it was just, it's the biggest self-expression that I've ever had. And I'm just having so much fun with it. So that's how that whole thing got birthed. That sounds really fun. And it also sounds like you're really running a couple of different businesses at once. Yeah, I have the entertainment company and then the unmessable with uh, yeah. coaching. So that's really the only two businesses at this point. My nonprofit is still there. I don't do a lot actively with it, but I have it as a uh, structure to work with other nonprofits if the desire is there or the need is there. So when projects come up, you've it's the containers already built. Yeah, it's there, and and you know we've trained hundreds of leaders from around the world. So you know it's it's I still am in touch with many of those leaders and offer them support and like that. Yeah, how do you manage your time? Because you're also like by global or by country, <laughs> whatever you would call that. Yeah, yeah exactly. You live, in, you live in two different, uh, two different worlds. <laughs> I, I, Paris has been my dream for 40 years to live in Paris. And when I was leading my own program last year, I was talking to people about, oh, you have dreams that are someday dreams. They're not real dreams. They're so and I realized, wait, I have a someday dream called someday I'm going to live in Paris. So I looked at that. I was like, I better walk my talk here. And I looked with my husband. I was like, are we going to do this? Like, are we actually going to move to Paris or are we going to talk about it for like the rest of it? Because we've been talking about it for 20 years. I've been talking about it for 40 years. So we set a date, May 1st. We were like, that's it. We're moving. And we got the visa and we, you know, rented an apartment and we downsized in New York so that our kids have a place to live while they're going to college. And, and the whole thing got set in action and we moved on May 1st. And now we live in, I can't even believe that I have the life that I have. I have to pinch myself as we were talking earlier, yeah. the food and the coffee and the, the doorknobs are so beautiful there. You know, like I just love it so much and it's better than I could have imagined. Plus the lifestyle, but my calendar is how I manage my time. And I am, I'm very, um, powerfully related to the calendar. And I even teach a class on the calendar with people. I, I, I did this calendar workshop for my private clients because every single person was dealing with challenges about how to manage time and overwhelm and burnout. So I created a system that I've used uh, to empower people. And it's life-changing, quite honestly. I mean, it's this little $19 thing on my website, but honestly, people get so much value out of it because they're not creating their life. They're at the effect of their to-do list. Mm -hmm. And I think that's insane. You know, it's option. Overwhelm is optional. Oh, so yeah. I, it's totally. a, I strongly believe that we are, most of us are living in a culture of overwhelm and it's a choice. It is. And it's not even real. Like, show me overwhelm. It doesn't exist. It's a conversation in your head that colors your view of everything there is to do and handle. So now you have these lenses on called overwhelm. And of course, you're going to be tired 
and the lens gives you being tired and drained and all that. And so shifting your lens, not just with regard to your time or your calendar, but with anything is one of the most powerful tools that I've found to alter your experience of that thing or that person. Because the context is decisive. And inside the context number, what mm-hmm. is this? If I, if I hold this up and I say number, what is it? The one. A one. It's not a trick question, right? It's just obviously a one. And then if I say, okay, body part, what is it? Finger. And direction. Up. Up. But nothing's altered in reality. The only thing that altered is the context, which is all linguistic and you have complete access to context. So a lot of the work that I do with people is altering the context about what they're dealing with, whether it's a person or a situation or their calendar. Yeah, no, I, I love that because I'm one, a, I mean, just a planner in general, but it's about including all the the great things in life and having space, right? Like people, when I teach time management, people are then trying to still jam 22,000 things into a day. And I'm like, no, like you've got to have time and have space to breathe in between, I schedule recharge time and I advise my clients to do it like, you know, twice a day. It's a half hour, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe it's watching the news. Maybe it's having a cup of coffee. Maybe it's taking a walk. But if you don't do that, you will be burnt out by the end of the day. It's like you got to plug your phone in. You got to plug yourself in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that recharge time is like, I love to go out and take a walk because it just, it just, I don't know, revives me in a way. I'm with you. I just did it before our call. Yeah. Um, but it it's just so, I don't know, exhilarating, but also restful. And then I feel so much better for the rest of the day. Exactly. And that's the first thing that I found with women, especially, um, that goes is their well-being. You yeah. know, like when they're trying to be everything for everybody and do everything for their well-being routines are the first thing to fall off the, the mat so to speak. And it's the most important thing because without that you're operating on, you know, shaky tires. Yeah. And if we're going to shift the overwhelm and the anxiety and the mental distress, we have to start being the ones that make the change. Yeah. And we have to be consciously intervening Mm -hmm. in the drift to just go into that mode because that's cultural. Right. You know, by the way, in France, they're not overwhelmed. Right. They're taking three hours for lunch. If we took three hours for lunch here, I mean, I, I think there'd be, you know, a news alert on CNN, like, oh, they took three hours for lunch. You know, it's like, it's just, it's a cultural thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. But they have such incredible conversations. Like, imagine what you could do with three hours and a group of your girlfriends at like, the conversation and the problem solving and the support and, or even just being or reading a book or just, you know, being able to just breathe and not have to get something done or produce a result. You know, that's a different mode as well. You know, we're so busy getting through life, which by the way, very successful people, what I've found is they're great reactors. They're great at reacting to emergencies and fires and they're going to put them out and they're going to deal with it. That's a very different muscle than creation. Mm -hmm. And there's no magic in reacting. There's only magic when you're creating, whatever that is for you. I completely agree. And I love that you're saying that because it's 
um, for me, it's about becoming proactive and operating from that proactive place where when you're communicating to anybody and giving them the heads up, yeah, for instance, like it's so much easier for them to go do whatever it is that you want them to do or to, for somebody else to take the next step in, in helping you create than being in that chaotic, the world's on fire. Oh my God, we've got to get these 22 things done because it's the last second. And I just don't operate that way. And I never No, it's not healthy and it's not productive. I mean, you know, when I work with teams and companies, you know, we want to have a high performance team. You can't be in survival mode, just hormonally. You know, you're in that kind of cortisol overload. It just, it doesn't work. Right. And that's why retention and burnout is so high, you know, or lack of retention and burnout is so high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's next for you as you're continuing to create amazingness? You know, it's, it's, it's a good question. I haven't, I, I I was telling my husband, it's, you know, June, it's the end of June. I want to, you know, I don't know when we're airing, but I was like, this is midway into the year. I want to look at what's next this weekend. So it's a perfect question for me. You know, I just did a keynote, uh, speech at a conference of transformative learners. And I was like, you know, I really like speaking. I haven't spoken in a long time in person since COVID. I think that might be the next thing I'm looking at creating is opportunities to speak in person with people. And I'm going to be going to the Philippines to do that in December and Mexico next year. So I'm I'm looking at creating that opportunity, but I, I really want to build the art of being unmessable with as a mass offering for people so that people can have access to developing their muscle in that. Because my mission is to have as many people as possible living the life of their dreams, not dreaming, but actually fulfilling on those dreams now and developing this muscle so they never have to be hooked. Yeah. Yeah. And then they'll be able to create whatever their vision is, whether it's for their family or for their community or the world. I mean, if you can imagine that if nobody was reacting and they were all creating what could, ha- I mean, you can't even fathom what could be created. And that's really a, a fuzzy vision because I don't know what could be possible, but that space of creation is what I'm committed to. I mean, I can't imagine if Congress were creating instead of reacting. Yeah. Well, they would actually solve problems. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if we could solve some of those issues that we're currently dealing with, then what could be possible? So, you know, it's it sounds lofty, but that's my real vision at an individual level and a, and a societal level is that people stop being in this survival reaction mode. It's really optional. There is a muscle developable. It's not really a word, but, you know, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, it is now, just like unmessable with, exactly. <laughs> I had for a while... I was in a coaching program. One of the women that was in it with me, I, I have all these words, like I just say, like yeah. unmuffable with um, one of my favorites is sparkalicious. Um, I love that. And she's like, we have to, we have to create an Emmy dictionary because there's just so many little words that I just presume everybody's on. Yeah. I know. I make those kind of things up all the time. I have one embiggen. I was like, how you should embiggen people, not smallify them, you know, <laughs> like whatever. It's just, Language is made up. Right. Right. Yeah. It, like play with it to have some fun. Exactly. Whatever floats your boat. And by the way, my tattoo says abracadabra, which, oh me- which means oh. in Aramaic and in Hebrew means with my word, I create. 
So there you go. That is truly amazing. Truly amazing. I want to um, just shift a little bit to you have sure. a free five day promise game. What is that? It's well, for five days, you'll get emails with a promise each day that's designed to produce a certain kind of result in your life. So let's say you wanted to produce happiness in your life. We have a promise that'll get, you know, you fulfill that promise that day. You keep your word that with your word you create and you'll start to get the experience of what it is to create your life versus react throughout the day. So it's a fun game that you can do, but it also produces profound results. And I'm big on promising because, you know, I'm big on your word and honoring your word and and having your word have power. Because ultimately, if your word is messable with, you're messable with. But if when you create something, it's unmessable with, that's it. Your word is law in the universe. And I've written two books about promising and the power of promising. So this five-day game is kind of a fun way to get a sense of what it is to create your life with your word versus be created by your mood. Everybody should go get that. Yeah, it's super fun. It's like, you know, and it's a, a, a not a heavy duty, this is going to take me a long time. No, it's, you know, you just kind of keep that. Like if I promise to, you know, make five people smile today, you know, it's not heavy lifting, but now I'm creating something that I wasn't creating before, you know? And uh, I do that when I'm, I'm in like big cities. I like to, I do that all the time, but I'm far more intentional about it when I'm in New York city, because there's so many people and, and, I love New York City and people seem to be so like focused on wherever they're going. Yep. Looking down, not yeah. up and out. So, um, I had, this was a couple of years ago, but I had one guy, like I was staring at him, like this huge, you know, goofy grin. And he was like, crazy lady, crazy lady. Crazy. That's right. I've been there. He started laughing and I'm like, yes. I won. Exactly. I had an experience like that in McDonald's because I was like in McDonald's waiting, you know, I'm on the line and the woman behind the counter seemed so miserable. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. I wonder what happened. And then I see a sign on the wall that says, if we don't smile before we give you your change, you get a free order of fries on your next visit. So I'm like, game on. But my game was not the fries. My game was to make her smile. Right. So I get up to her and I ordered my salad uh, or double quarter pounder with cheese, depending on the version of the story you want to believe. And uh, she didn't smile. And I looked right at her and I said, you didn't smile. And she burst out laughing, you know, because people want to be uplifted. There's just so much in that survival mode that it's like, almost like there's a wall. And if you can break through that wall and connect with people, there's nothing better. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious, like this just entered my brain. So not something that I'm practicing, but if we all started our mornings or afternoon, if we get up in the afternoon, whenever, but with like doing something that gave us a little bit of joy instead of that, like, oh my God, I've got to go do this and that and the running to-do list or yeah. sit here and delay things and scroll through social, um, what it would be like. Try it for a week make a promise to give myself joy each morning or give someone else. I would do both. Give someone else, make sure that you provide joy for someone else. I'm okay. sure your husband will be very happy if you have that promise, but you know, it's like just to create joy. Like I'm going to create joy for five people today, including myself or something like that and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's, I mean, it, it's the shifting of everybody in those interactions. 
it's it's an energetic thing. You know, if you're down like this, that's the energy around you. If you're up like this, then that's the energy around you. And, you know, it begins with your word and a promise, right? And if you think about it, a promise is like you're creating a future that wasn't there. It's like there's nothing there. Now you're creating something that what if I say I promise I'm going to have lunch with you, now there's a future that wasn't going to happen anyway. So if you promise to bring joy to yourself and others, now you have this like net to live into versus life coming at you, you're now creating life. It's a very different dynamic. And once you fulfill a promise enough times, it becomes a practice. Exactly. And then it just becomes the way of being. Totally. Yeah. Justin, where can everybody get connected with you? Uh, my website is theartofbeingunmessablewith.com. So everything is there from the free promise game to other free things. I have lots of things that people can engage with my newsletter, podcast recordings, you know, like that. And then also, you know, other kind of offerings as you get more into the game of being unmessable with. There's all sorts of stuff from, you know, a $19 calendar workshop to a retreat in Paris. So lots of things. When is the retreat in Paris? October 3rd through 6th. It's only for six people. I haven't even like let it publicize yet, but it's going to be really awesome. Daily coaching and afternoon, you know, like experiences in Paris. Come on, take one of those spots. I would, except I have two, three big events in October already. October's the big month, maybe next year, but look, maybe the dates would work. Who knows? You could have it all. I could have it all. I could be like here in Austin there. You could do your virtual thing, you know, from there. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on. This has been super fun. Um, I love, I love everything that you're saying because it's I love talking to you. You're so, you know, you're such a bright light for what's possible. It makes me happy. Um, anything and everything is possible. Yeah. So thank you. And thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. Thank you again for having me and uh, anytime. Absolutely. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you.